and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. We agree with Anais Neen. If we have the audacity to call ourselves storytellers, we better start telling stories. You're listening to Jammiest Bits of Jam, a monthly storytelling podcast celebrating writing from bricky brave gals. Hold the phone. What's with this title? Jammiest Bits of Jam? Is Are you trying to trick me? Is this about canning? Because I don't want to listen about canning. And it sounds messy. Jammy's Bits of Jam is a term circa 1883 for an absolutely perfect female. So it applies to all ladies everywhere. Each month we choose a new theme and write a short 10-minute story based on that theme for you giggle mugs. This month's theme is The Open Sea. Now we introduce our first voice. Christina Kishpaw, a screenwriter and sci-fi maniac from San Francisco with her short story, Where the Two Meet. After Jess died, her best friend Nicole avoided her family. She found that in their mourning, they reminded her of Jess, but only at her most haggard, her most sad, her most stressed. Middle of finals senior year when Jess's dog died. That's what she saw when she looked at this little family now smaller. This is not how Nicole wanted to remember Jess, It isn't how Jess would want to be remembered. Her chosen isolation from the family ended three weeks after the funeral, when Jess's brother Dave knocked on her door. He came in, sat on her couch, and pet her cat. She made tea, and they talked for hours. That's when his eyes no longer reminded her of Jess, but of comfort. Over the next few months, Nicole and Dave hung out almost every week. He was the kindest, funniest, rudest, and most annoying person she'd ever known and she was so in love with him she couldn't stand it. She had held back from expressing her feelings for obvious reasons. Jess was like a ghost sitting between them. You shouldn't start a relationship based on the mourning period of a loved one. It just didn't seem right. So Nicole never said anything. She just continued to enjoy every minute of Dave's company, then suffer with yearning when he wasn't there. Jess had always loved the Baltics. Nicole remembered as far back as middle school, her best friend would show her pictures in her parents' leather-bound almanac. Nicole never truly understood what a Baltic even was. All she knew was Jess wanted to go there. Now that Nicole was boarding a cruise ship to go to the Baltics, she had to admit she still didn't quite understand what they were. If Jess were there, she would ask her. Instead, she asks Dave. He leans against the railing of the ship lowers his sunglasses to the edge of his nose and his light brown eyes twinkle with mischief. What did you say, Nicole? You have ticks on your balls? That's really gross. He had always been a trickster at heart, even when her and Jess were really young. Then he was the gross brother with dirt on his face and a scab always either on his knee or elbow. Jess used to scream at him in her feathered princess crown. Her mother's pink lipstick smeared haphazardly across her lips. Leave me alone, Dave! Nicole, being an only child, found the interaction both terrifying and fascinating. Jess had always said she wanted a funeral in the Norse tradition. She would imagine out loud wearing a light pink lace dress, a delicate crown of flowers interwoven in her brown locks, a slight smile on her pale face as she was placed in a bed of flowers in a beautiful wooden boat. Her father would push the boat out into the sea. And you would shoot the fire-tipped arrow, Nicole. 
Jess would joke. Nicole never thought that was funny. Now, Nicole finds herself on her way to Jess's Norse funeral. Except, kind of backwards. No fire would be involved, and Nicole certainly won't be shooting arrows. But there will be her and the family. There will be a boat. There will be the Baltic waves. The only thing missing will be Jess's body, which was already burned into ash and currently snug tight in her mother's luggage. Now that they were on the ship and out in the open sea, Nicole never felt more trapped by her feelings for Dave. The way her stomach swayed back and forth on the ship deck, so did her resolve. She was only in two states of being, ready to confess to him or ready to let it go. She hated to be that stereotypical girl stuck in an unrequited love spiral. Like so many before her, she found herself her own worst enemy. Nicole had made a decision and that was not to decide. This trip was about Jess, to celebrate with her family the life they had shared together. All of her petty romantic feelings didn't even compare to the wall of emotion surrounding the family. No, this was not the time. She would decide after the trip. Three days passed as they sailed the open sea. They spent their afternoons by the pool drinking sweet ice drinks and laughing until their stomachs hurt. Their third evening was a gala night. Nicole had brought a light blue cocktail dress she thought brought out her eyes. While packing for the trip in her room back home, she imagined Dave seeing her emerge from her room and his eyes would soften by her beauty. And he would dance with her all night until he whisked her away to the outer deck and they would kiss under fireworks. Yeah, right. Now as she puts on the dress, she's planning to fake some kind of sickness to get out of there as soon as possible. One may dream Cinderella dreams, but most of the time you just end up still sleeping by that damn fireplace. When she figures she looks presentable enough, she steps into the hallway to meet Dave and his parents to head down to dinner. To her surprise, Dave does have a reaction to how she looks, but instead of softening his eyes furrow, he grabs her by the arm gently and takes her back into the room, but not before she notices his parents' shocked faces. Why do you have that dress? This dress? I... Oh no. This dress. This very dress that Nicole had chosen to wear on this very cruise had belonged to Jess. Nicole had borrowed it two weeks before Jess died for a date. Jess shoved it into her arms. You look better in it. Makes those baby blues pop. Jess's parents had given her this dress for Christmas. She promised she would wear it on her 25th birthday to the big party they were planning for her. She died a month before she could reach a quarter of a century old. Now, the night before what would have been Jess's 26th birthday, Dave was staring down at Nicole intently. She realized in that moment that was the closest they'd ever been physically that wasn't a hug. The tension rose. I'm sorry, Dave. I totally forgot she was the one who loaned it to me. My parents have been looking for that dress for a year, Nicole. She was meant to be buried in it. Nicole felt the blood leave her face. She felt like she was going to actually be sick. She couldn't be near him anymore. She went into her bathroom and closed the door. She leans against the door with a broken sigh. Buried? Why did you cremate her then? We only did because... We couldn't find that dress. Nothing else seemed right. I'm so sorry, Dave. 
Nicole could hear him shuffle uncomfortably. You didn't know. She hears him walk away and close the door behind him. A tear falls from Nicole's face and onto the dress. Suddenly, it is the most uncomfortable thing she's ever worn. She has never felt so ugly, so stupid, and so alone. Jess would always be there. This horrible tragedy would follow her and Dave around forever. She wanted to rip this stupid dress to shreds. Instead, she removes it slowly and changes into a t-shirt and sweats. She has a connecting room with Jess's parents, so she sneaks into their room and hangs the dress up gently in their closet door. She didn't go to dinner or the gala that night. She didn't get to dance with Dave. Maybe he found someone else to dance with. Someone who didn't remind him of his dead sister. Maybe her first instinct was right. She should leave this family alone. They've been through enough. The next day was the day of the ash scattering. Jess's birthday. Nicole had been avoiding Dave and his parents all morning. She purposely walked several people behind them all the way to the beach where the scattering would take place. The clouds outside were heavy and dark. Standing here on this very gray morning where the Baltic Sea and the North Sea meet, Nicole finally understood why Jess would want to go here so badly. You can actually see the two seas fighting it out. One wave pushes the other and the other pushes back. They were actually different colors. Nicole was awestruck, as was everyone else. She glanced over and made eye contact with Jess's mother who raised the little box of ashes to her and smiled. Nicole nodded. It was time. Two worlds coming together, living in harmony but always in conflict. This is how Nicole felt about Jess's family, how she felt about her and Dave. How close could they get when their glue was about to be washed away? Jess's parents had rented a small boat from the cruise line to take out to spread the ashes in the open water. But the waves were thrashing with so much intensity, the little boat was going to capsize if they even tried to take it out. Dave's mother cried into his father's chest. It's all ruined. The wind is too intense. This was their one chance to give Jess her Nordic funeral. The rain begins to fall fast as Nicole grabs the box of ashes suddenly from Jess's mother and begins to wade into the freezing and treacherous waves. Her teeth begin to chatter as the rain drenches her above and she is consumed below. Everyone on shore is yelling for her to stop, to come back, but she promised her best friend a long time ago that she would be the one to shoot the arrow, to release her into the sea. This is what she must do. She must follow through for Jess, for Dave, for their parents, and also for herself. She gets to just above her hips and the waves are thrashing so much she almost loses her balance. But right before she falls in, she feels two hands grab her waist. It's Dave and he's keeping her steady. You can't tell tears from raindrops, but both of them cry and Dave nods to her. She holds the box above her head, closes her eyes and opens it. Almost like magic, a braze picks up Jess and carries her out into the sea. Nicole watches her go and smiles. She looks up at Dave and he takes his hand from her waist and to her face, his thumb wiping away rain-soaked hair from her eyes. He kisses her gently and whispers, Thank you. They kiss again, this time perhaps to make up for kissing time gone by. They hardly notice the crewmen who have come to take them back to shore. 
The kissing never ceased after that day in the rain. A love founded in tragedy is love nonetheless. It was Jess's love that brought them together to a place where the two meet. Down the West Coast, over the hill from Hollywood in Burbank, California, we have Cassie Soliday with her short story, The Fisher Cat's Son. It's a widely known fact that cats hate water. Fiona, however, loved it. She was a Persian with long hair that billowed in the wind as she would hoist up the sails. When she was young, she would cry until her parents would give her a bath in the big basin out back. Not being fans of the water, her parents were against it, at least until Fiona would have a tantrum. Fiona was famous in the small coastal town of Hammersley Futsley for her tantrums. The day she took off on her boat was the happiest day of their lives. They were finally rid of a tyrant. No one came to wave her good luck or goodbye, and she couldn't care less. Only Jorn, the fisher cat's son, had given it a second thought when she shoved off the mainland and out towards the open sea. Because it wasn't her boat at all, it was his father's. Miles off the coast of Hammersley Fusley, Fiona pranced around her deck. She was finally free from the shackles of their rules and norms. <sighs> she was so excited, screaming whatever she could into the air with no one around to hear but the sky and sea. This calls for a wet one in celebration, she cried. Near a barrel, her canvas bag sits with a corked bottle of milk sticking out, courtesy of her neighbor's cattle whether they knew it or not. She reaches for it, cheeks rosy from the wind kissing her face. From behind the barrel, someone jumps up, a nervous wreck. You got me. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have come. Oh, man. Fiona is startled as she thought she was completely alone. Of course it was too good to be true. Her face starts to get red with frustration, but the stowaway speaks up again, this time with faked confidence. No, no, I should have. I have a right to be here. The ship takes a dip, swaying side to side. His face turns green and he runs over to the railing to be sick. Remembering that she has the upper hand as they are now in her comfort zone, she chuckles. She grabs the bottle of milk out of her bag. Jorn, right? He nods his head but then quickly faces down over the railing. Another wave has caused him to be sick. Fiona comes over and leans with her back against the railing beside him. She takes a swig of her milk. How brave of you, Jorn. Fiona hands him the bottle. He looks up at it and takes it in his paws. Coming after the thorn in Hammersley Futsley's side? They won't miss me. You're wasting your time. It's more about the boat. My dad loves this boat. Your dad? The fisher cat? Fiona is starting to get angry. Have you seen him ever use this boat? There are layers of dust on the cells from all of his use. The only fish he encounters is at the counter of the stand at the market. Jorn takes it in. It doesn't make it not his. Fiona paces as her ears sharply drape down the back of her head in frustration. 
You can't just own an adventurous beauty like this and keep her tied to the harbor. One foot in the water and one foot on land. The ship belongs here, riding the waves and exploring the seas. <sighs> she sighs. Jordan turns to look at Fiona, who is looking out over the waves, enraged. From his experience of seeing her blow up in Hammersley Feudsley often, he knew well enough to realize that this is a pivotal point in her mood swing. He felt a connection with her that he never quite understood or had the chance to explore before. He had plenty of time to observe the many shades of Fiona when she would go to market with her mother. He would often sit at the tables coloring in cookbooks that he hadn't purchased, waiting for his father to get off work. One time he remembers, years ago when they were younger, Fiona's mother pulling her away from the big jugs of filtered water that she wanted to release back into the ocean. He could see the authenticity in her fits that they came from a good place, but every moment he remembers seeing her blow up was because she was being asked to be something she was not. They were asking for her to change who she was. Now he is here, with her, and an upset stomach, on his father's stolen boat. Why doesn't anyone understand? Fiona glances over at Jorn, who is no longer slave to his stomach over the railing. He looks at her with understanding eyes. I have to be honest, Fiona. It had been so long since she had heard her name said in a soft tone and not her full name being screamed. Then a new thought popped into her head. Wait, how did you get here? Her anger dissipated. Now, Fiona could see clearly. She could see Jorn fully. A fellow cat growing up to fit the ideal in dry land-loving Hammersley Feudsley. And he was soaking wet. After seeing Fiona shove off in his father's boat, Jorn, the fisher cat's son, swam after her. Jammy's Bits of Jam is produced by Christina Kishbaugh and Cassie Soliday. Music by Grace Sai. Follow us on Facebook as Jammy's Bits of Jam Podcast and on Twitter at Jammy's Bits of Jam. If you're interested in submitting your short story based on the next theme to the podcast or have any other comments or questions for us, please email jammiestbitsofjam at gmail.com. Keep writing and embracing the most important thing you have, your voice. <laughs>